Men want a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. That is what is written in their hearts. That is what little boys play at. That is what men's movies are about. You just see it. It is undeniable. John Eldridge. Welcome to episode 7 of the Dr. Cliff podcast. Is it really toxic to be a man? All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 7 of the Dr. Cliff podcast. This one's all going to be about toxic masculinity. Uh, That is a phrase that the social justice warriors are talking a lot about, the progressives are talking a lot about. It is a phrase I hate. Um, I guess, I hope what they mean is that toxic masculinity is not that all masculinity is toxic, but that certain, uh, I guess, characteristics can be taken to a level that causes toxicity. Uh, but we're going to just talk about sort of that that thought that the classic air quotes man or manliness is considered inappropriate in these modern times. Um, this uh, this topic was brought to me, or I, I started thinking about it because I'm reading this book by Lewis Hose, H O W E S, and Lewis uh, the the book is titled "The Mask of Masculinity: How Men Can Embrace Vulnerability, Create Strong Relationships, and Live Their Fullest Lives." And I've really only gotten through the introduction in the first chapter. The first chapter is talking about the mask of being stoic or the stoic mask. And basically it talks about, uh, this whole book talks about six or seven kind of masks. And obviously they're not talking about the physical kind, but sort of the mask that we, us men put ourselves, put on ourselves to kind of hide our feelings. And it's these these masks or these uh, uh, costumes of disguises that we've been taught through generations that a air quotes real man must uh, must present to the world, and obviously the first chapter is the stoic man, the one who has little feelings, uh, feels little pain, complains about very little, um, and so I'm I'm kind of torn because. I'm actually, I'm enjoying the book in the sense of I'm learning a lot from it, but I have yet to agree with the author. Um, In his introduction, he too often talks or writes in italics and highlights the names of his past books, so it seems very uh, uh, sort of salesmanship. And he talks about how his last book um, was on the New York's uh, Times bestsellers list, and while he was doing a uh, around the U.S. tour, uh, book signing tour, and reading tour, and and press junket tour, um, he was depressed and lonely, and his relationship had failed, and and he was uh, uh, expected, and almost society was demanding of him to keep quiet and enjoy his success. Uh, and of course, we don't want people to be quiet if they truly are unhappy. But honestly, I found the way he wrote and the things he was writing about to be rather uh, whiny. There is a part in it where he talks about um, moving to L.A. Um, after, you know, maybe being six months within a relationship with a woman it had gotten serious. And so she had talked him into moving to L.A. to be with her. 
And the second he got there, and he had his own place, but the second he got there, she kind of switched and she went from being one day super loving and happy and the next day very passive aggressive and quiet and sort of playing manipulative games. And then he goes on to talk about, and I can understand that. I think a lot of men and women can understand that there are changes in, in your partner or your, your, your spouse or, or your loved ones that can be upsetting, especially when it's sort of matters of the heart. But he goes on to talk about how he, he basically spent two weeks watching uh, the TV show Weeds uh, eight hours a day, never getting out of his T-shirt and jogging pants, eating junk food and crying for two weeks straight um, because he couldn't understand why she had a change of heart. They hadn't broken up. He just seemed upset. And again, I guess maybe I am. I have a little bit of that sort of toxic masculinity in me because I'm reading this going, thinking to myself like, so talk to her or don't get out of the relationship. Like if you're not happy, you got to make a change. And, and, and even if you're not going to make a change, even if you're going to ride it out and, and see if it, it was a phase she was going through and, and maybe there's some other things going on that she yet has told you that, that are bothering her. So then choose to ride it out, you know, for a certain set of period. How is locking yourself in your apartment and, and, and watching a, uh, a sort of drama, modern drama, and eating junk food and crying for two weeks, you know, sort of appropriate. So I'm a little torn because so far the book has done the exact opposite for me than I anticipated. And I wanted to specifically bring out this one uh, sort of section, this this thing he writes about, this interaction with a gentleman named Dale uh, in chapter one. Now, Dale is a real guy. Dale is actually, he can be seen on one of my favorite shows, Entourage, uh, HBO, uh, I think season, eight seasons, uh, as well as a movie. And Dale, in real life, is a retired Navy SEAL, um, a retired Navy SEAL. And in Entourage, he plays himself. And what he's doing is he's teaching the star, Vincent Chase, um, played by Adrian Grenier. Vincent Chase is a, a movie star, an up-and-coming movie star. Vincent Chase has been cast as the Aquaman. He's the star of Aquaman, uh, directed by James Cameron. Um, very, very funny because he's the exact opposite of Jason Momoa, uh, though they are both very pretty, but in different ways. Um, Vincent Chase is, is working with this gentleman, Dale, who goes by his real name in the show, and Dale is teaching him how to scuba dive, and he's teaching him how to shoot weapons, including this sort of made-up claw. And Dale's a very tough dude, and, he, and he's probably in his 60s at the time. Uh, and he's got the square jaw and the sort of old man strength and the strong cut hair, the straight cut hair, and his, you know, nice, nice white head of hair. And he, uh, you know, he, he yells at him and calls him girls and he says, you know, get your ass over here and et cetera, et cetera. And he's been hired to teach these sort of military skills to this, uh, to this up and coming, uh, uh, superstar. And in real life, Dale does this. So he's also, it's actually interesting. He 
Dale uh, has done, you know, he's got a company that basically teaches heroes in the movies how to be heroes, um, how to do these sort of uh, action moves and handle guns and, and whatnot. And he was hired by Oliver Stone, the director of Platoon, an amazing war movie from, I'm going to say, late 80s. And in Platoon, uh, Kevin Dillon, the actor, plays a character. And Kevin Dillon is also an honorage. He plays uh, Vincent Chase's brother, Johnny Drama, Drama, or Johnny Chase. And uh, so it's kind of this cool uh, full circle. But Oliver Stone hired Dale to teach all these guys in Platoon what jungle warfare was like. And the legend has it, and Oliver Stone has has stated this to be true, as has Kevin Dillon on the uh, Victory podcast, which I highly recommend by Action Park Media. Hopefully they'll hear this and uh, maybe offer me a contrast. What do you think, uh, Mr. Businessman? Uh, 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 Kevin Connolly, uh, offer me a deal. Anyways, um, uh, Dale was known, or legend has it, he took all the actors, including Johnny Depp and um, Tom Berger and Willem Dafoe and Kevin Dillon, and brought them out into the jungle for two and a half weeks and made them sleep in the mud and woke up in the middle of the night and did all these war games and whatnot. So he's, he's hard-ass, right? So in this book, uh, the author, uh, Lewis, Mr. Hose, Howes, uh, H-O-W-E-S, he's got a, a journal sort of writing here that he says, um, as you've probably figured out by now, at the root of the problem is our toxic understanding of masculinity. Even guys who have been through the ringer and lived to tell the tale, as Dale has, perpetuate it. I asked Dale what kind of advice he would give his 20-year-old self. And his entire exchange is one that continues to rattle me to this day. You guys sitting on the edge of your seats? Okay, here you go in italics. This is what Dale said. I'd say this. Look, you have a role in life. That role has been given to you because you were born with a certain set of genitals and a certain emotional makeup. There's nothing you can do about that. That's a good thing. So play your role. Your role is to be a provider, a defender, a teacher. Your role is to step up in the hard times. Now that's going to take some doing. It's going to take some thinking. It's going to take some courage. But if you will do it, in the hardest of times, your life will be rewarding no matter how many troubles you go through, no matter how many hard times, no matter how many emotional pits you fall into, if you'll step up and remember that you have this role and that you must perform in that role, your life will be rewarding. Don't let anything pull you off that track. Uh, this dude's uh, tough as nails, eh? Anyway, so uh, the writer goes on to say, what if that role doesn't resonate with someone? He's asking Dale this. What if that role doesn't resonate with someone? What if there's a young man growing up who's like, that doesn't feel right to me, or I don't feel like, that's who I am. When I asked him what he'd say to a guy who felt some reservations about his cold, so-called role as a, quote, provider, Dale paused and then continued. I would say, you're doing way too, too damn much feeling. Again, tough as nails, right? So, then he's got in bold, Lewis, the author, says, no wonder so many live behind... So many men live behind an artificial wall 
or hunkered down inside an emotional foxhole. No wonder so many men walk around wearing an emotionless, stoic mask. It's because at pivotal times in their lives, they had this very conversation with someone they knew or respected. And in a moment of honesty and vulnerability, someone said to them, Hey man, that's way too much feeling. Wow. So it makes me read, I read this and I think, am I stuck in the past? Am I somehow following in the steps of Dale? Uh, And I mean, Dale would be, I would say, on one hand, very opposite to say my father. My father was never in the army. My father's a pacifist. Um, You know, physically speaking, I mean, my father was an accountant and he's your sort of a uh, 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 standard, uh, typical, what you'd imagine an accountant would look like when he's in his seventies. Um, you know, he, he would be a nerd like I was when I was younger. Um, but you know, and don't get me wrong. I respect my father. I love him. He's one of my best friends. And if I can become half the man he is, I would feel pretty uh, blessed and my children would feel pretty blessed. Um, but they are very different men. And yet I think my father would probably agree with a lot of things Dale is saying in the sense of you got to sort of pull yourself up by the bootstraps and uh, put your feelings aside when the shit hits the fan and just clean the fan, you know, get rid of that problem, take care of your family, be a provider, be a leader, be a teacher, and there'll be time for emotions and feelings after the uh, uh, the, the, the monster horde that's storming the wall has been defeated, you know? So I'm really torn because, you know, I do lean towards men like Dale or what he's, what he's talking about. Now I cry, you know, I, I do think I I'm definitely a sensitive man and, and I actually wish I was less sensitive than I actually am in the sense of, I, I, can take things personally and I get emotional and I, I sometimes wear those emotions uh, uh, so that the world can see, but I do a cry. I do cry. And, and now on the other hand, I do also lose my temper and, and I can be a bit of an asshole. Uh, I can, you know, speak when I shouldn't and say things that I might be thinking, but I really shouldn't be thinking them. And I recognize I shouldn't be thinking them. And it's like the words are coming out and I'm trying to grab them and, and pull them back in. Um, but then when the time comes, I've, I've learned to apologize. And, and it's a, a very uh, like honest and sincere apology without a, but, you know, but you said, or I'm sorry, I hurt your feelings. None of that, none of that BS. Like I, I really apologize and, and and say, "Hey, man, I shouldn't have said that to you, and that's not how I feel." And you know, it was it was rude and it was disrespectful and inappropriate. And I love you, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. And are we okay? And is there anything you'd like to talk about? And do you need time? Like, I I think I'm actually pretty good at apologies, um, but I do. I honestly really really appreciate what Dale was saying and. I'm kind of looking to see, I'm going to have to look to see what his last name is. And maybe he wrote a book and I can read it after I read, uh, Lewis Howe's, I guess it's Howe's cause like Gordy Howe, Lewis Howe's, uh, book, um, said, so I am quite torn now. Um, you know, there's also times that I feel, uh, uh, overworked, uh, and I feel underappreciated. Um, but I plow through and I, you know, quote unquote, be a man. Right. 
Um, now, is that statement sort of sexist to be a man? That's, you know, that's another question. Um, and I guess if you break it down, yes, because you're saying these sort of, you're talking about the people who use that, hey, be a man. They're talking about you are, you, you've got some sort of failing right at the moment. Maybe you're not being tough enough on the football field or you're complaining about work and having to work extra hours or whatever. You know, then someone may say the coach or the boss or a coworker or your buddy may say, dude, just be a man, like be a man up and, and, and figure it out. So if you, if you look at the actual words, um, uh, yeah, you could say it's sexist because you're saying you've got some negative uh, behaviors or emotions and it would be better if you had some positive emotions and therefore you'd be more of a man. But I don't think that's what people actually mean. They're just, they're just saying toughen up, whether you're a man or a woman, they're just saying toughen up. Right. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the statement is sort of tied to gender, um, but I don't see it specifically that way. I, when, when someone says be a man again, I, they're saying toughen up or solve the problem. Stop complaining. It doesn't help at all. Solve the problem. Be, figure out what your role is. Be that leader, be that provider. Now, I mentioned before about me sort of at times feeling unappreciated or underappreciated, and, and I know it's not true. I know I'm appreciated by my family and my my spouse and my loved ones and my coworkers, like my teammates. Um, uh, uh, I don't like calling them staff. Um, and, and you could listen to some of the other podcasts. The, the last one about uh, teams and helmets are about how they, they protect me like a helmet does from, uh, from, from sort of things going south. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, the, the point is I do sometimes feel unappreciated and, and I guess that's the thing is I am discussing my emotions, right? So, so at times when it's appropriate, um, I express my feelings, uh, and I'm honest about them, but, you know, Dale has a really good point because he talks about, you know, having a certain role in your life, accepting that you're going to have that role or you already have that role and completing the task, like basically doing that role as best as you can and being proud of it and recognizing that as long as you can focus on whatever that role is, when the challenges come do your job, quote unquote job. It may not actually be a paid job. It may be, you know, let's say being a father, do what you got to do is what that role requires. And in the end, everything's going to be okay. And you're going to have a rewarding life. And he never once talks in the rest of the book. Dale never mentions about money. He's just talking about, I think, life satisfaction, right? So it made me think, you know, about what my roles are. And uh, obviously provider, financially speaking. Um, uh, I have a good job. Being a veterinarian is a very good job. And, you know, I could make more money being a physician or a dentist or, you know, a whole lot of medical type uh, professions and other professions. Um, but I still do very well. My kids are comfortable. I'm comfortable. My wife's comfortable. Everything's doing okay. So I'm a provider. And that's something that I've always taken a lot of pride in. Um, I remember being in university and, and my wife at the time, Kathy was, she graduated after four years. I did six years. 
So my last two years, I was a sort of a kept man because she was working full time and she was making good money. And it didn't bother me. Um, I'm a good cook and I cleaned and it gave me a chance to study and I did very well in school uh, and she did very well in her job. We were all very happy. But I definitely, and this is arguably a sexist feeling, I definitely walked taller once I graduated and started making equal to uh, the money she was, you know. And, and later on, obviously when she went into mat leave and became a housewife, I was, I was the primary breadwinner. I was making the majority of the money. And, you know, I guess maybe I'm uh, uh, insecure in the sense of I felt more like a man after when I started making more money. And I guess, yeah, you know, now that I'm starting to think about it and I've talked about how this podcast is like therapy, um, you know, that could be considered a sign of insecurity. But either way, I was and I am proud to be a provider. Uh, and then there's a protector. And let's say protector from, you know, the boogeyman and from uh, people who wish to do my family harm. And thank goodness I've never had to step up. I mean, there's been a few... I was at a situation at a little taverna in uh, Isari, a tiny little village in uh, uh, Stinilada in Greece. And there almost was a, a fight in this tavern. And instead of me stepping in and trying to stop it or, you know, getting ready to throw down, uh, I was there with my new niece. Uh, she was probably seven at the time. And my son, who was uh, 20, and uh, then my niece's father, he stepped in to try and talk to these people because they spoke Greek. There was a lot of yelling. Now, Greeks just yell. So it probably wasn't as bad as I thought. But you know, as a protector, my job was to pick up my niece, uh, Anna Melina, and just carry her out of this bar because things were starting to, chairs were starting to get pushed around and, and they were very close to us. So uh, I'm a protector in that sense. And, and I have no doubt in my mind that if, you know, the house had a, uh, a house raiding where, uh, what's it called, where the bad guys come and knock on the door and then break the door down, if need be, I would step up to the challenge and whether I win or lose isn't the point. I would do my best to protect the family. I can protect my family from the cold. I can protect my family from disease. I can do all these things. And I take that role very, very seriously. Um, and then there's the role of leadership. You know, Dale talks about being a leader and of course, you know, being the, the father figure, uh, is that a sexist term? Um, I don't know. Being the father figure in the family, I think I'm a leader. I lead by example with my children and definitely a leader at work, um, uh, working a lot of hours, working a lot of days a week, um, sort of dealing with the clients that are trying to bully people or just, you know, just willing to willing to plunge the toilet if it ever got backed up. If need be, I would step up to the challenge and, and, and lead by example. And then, of course, my final role is being a doctor, both for my family and helping my kids with their nicks and cuts and bruises and, and illnesses. And also when, when my own pets get sick, there's a situation uh, a couple episodes ago where we talked about man's best friend. My dog Thalia got sick. And uh, so I had to be both sort of father figure to her to take care of her and also the veterinarian and get the meds and force meds into her and, and even take it as a role that, you know, I had to put my feelings aside with that one because 
it really upset her that I was shoving this medicine in her throat and forcing her to eat and, you know, shoving food in her mouth and then squirting it with water. And it was a, she had a disease that required a certain number of calories to reverse the breakdown of fat, uh, a process called gluconeogenesis, uh, the creation of uh, glucose or sugar from the breakdown of fat as energy. And it was causing a liver problem. So this you know, she she still is mad at me and she was on IV fluids for two weeks and she was taking a lot of medicine. She's still getting seven pills a day. She doesn't take them. When she sees me going towards the pills, she watches me and then she runs away and I have to go and get her. She goes into her crate every time, which is easy to get her out. And then I give it to her and she's fine. But she, like it's, it's temporarily hurt our relationship that she sees dad as a bit of a bit of a jerk because she doesn't understand why I'm doing this. Now, I've had to set my feelings aside and say, I have a role to play. I have to take care of my dog and she will learn to forgive me and she will forgive me later on. And she does. Every day she forgives me and then I piss her off again. So, you know, I just have to accept it. And honestly, when these challenges happen, like with Thalia, my feelings don't matter. You know, it's the, it's the, it's not that the end results sort of justify the means, but the end results trump feelings. I hate that word because of who our pre- who the American president is. Um, the end results take priority over a certain person's feelings. If that person wants to be a leader, a provider, a problem solver, and in Dale's situation, in Dale's case, a man, you know, that toxic uh, man. Um And it might be hard for people to hear, you know, that your feelings don't matter. In a situation when push comes to shove, your feelings are are useless in certain situations. For example, the banks. If you owe mortgage and money to the banks, your feelings don't really matter. I mean, you're going to be able to talk to your, your account manager and your mortgage provider and whatnot and maybe get... A, a delay on payments, but understand they're not doing it because of your feelings. They're doing it because they want to keep your business and they'd rather get the money from you later than not at all. What are they going to do? Foreclose on your house, you know, after you're a month late, they're going to keep charging you interest. So in the end, they're going to make more money in the long run right? It's going to affect your credit rating. So when you go to renew your mortgage, you got to pay an extra quarter percent. They're going to make more money again. So in the end, your feelings don't matter to them. What matters is, can you pay your bills? Can you pay your mortgage? You know, that's in the end, that's the agreement they have with you. And that's what you're expected to do as a homeowner, right? Um, Talking about being a protector. So if your family needs protection. Let's say it's physical protection. If heaven forbid, it's so rare, but heaven forbid, you need to physically protect someone in your family. And in my case, as a man, I think that is part of my role. You know, it is one of the reasons I lift weights the way I do. It is one of the reasons why I stay in physical good shape so I can protect people if I need to. And also let's be, you know, let's be honest. If, if someone is planning on doing harm, let's say a bully. So someone is a bully, essentially a thief, a crook, a bully, whatever, a bad guy. Um, 
they're they're less likely to go after somebody who at least looks like they're athletic. And although I'm only five foot seven and 160 pounds, uh, I definitely look athletic and I am athletic and I've got a black belt in judo and I've done boxing and Muay Thai and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and, and, um, karate and Taekwondo. And, but the big thing is, you know, I can, I can take care of myself. So, um, and if something were to happen, my emotions mean nothing, right? Like you can't tap out and say, Oh, that was a good one. You got me. No, you just need to protect your family. Um, and same thing with financial protection. You just, you need to pay the, find the money to, to, to buy the food that they need and to pay for the house so that they have a roof over their head, right? Your feelings about it don't make, uh, you know, a lick of difference. And if you don't feel appreciated for it, that still doesn't stop the fact that someone has to pay those bills. And of course, it is a partnership. And of course, the, the, the woman in the relationship, if this is a nuclear family, you know, a husband and wife, and I know not all relationships are like that, uh, which is great. Um, but we're just going to talk about in the situation I'm in and the majority of families. If, you know, of course, there are times where the woman makes more money than the man, and that's fine. Then she's needs to, she needs to recognize, and the two of them as a team need to recognize that the bills have to be paid and the relationship and their feelings means little until after those things are sort of dealt with. Right. Um, and same thing with illness, same thing with, you know, future challenges, all this stuff doesn't, they don't care about your feelings. What they care about is what is the end result? We're going to throw some pain in the ass challenge at you and are you going to be able to step up or not, right? If you're a leader, if that's your sort of situation and that's your role, whether you're a leader at work or at home, you know, you need to lead the team, you need to be honest, and it's great to discuss your emotions. Um, I think it's very effective to be honest and to, to discuss how you feel. But recognize you're doing that because it makes you a better leader because in the end, it's the end result that matters. If you're team is dysfunctional and you're the leader, whatever team that may be, if it's dysfunctional and you're the leader, then the fates, the world, you know, everything, nothing really cares about why you're not a good leader and, oh, so-and-so doesn't listen to me because, uh, well, they just don't like me and I'm having a bad day and so I lost my temper, so I shouldn't have to apologize no, you need to set aside your hurt feelings or your, you know, whatever the situation is, the stress that you have at home when you go to work and the stress you have at work when you go home, you need to set those aside and sort of be in the moment and realize again, the the moral of this story is that when push comes to shove and there's a problem, your feelings don't really matter. And then obviously as a doctor, that last role so that I specifically talk about sickness, pain, um, they don't, they're, they're not selective, right? They don't, they don't choose. My patients don't choose to get sick when it's convenient for me or to feel pain when I have the time or the emotional strength to deal with it. Uh, again, look at Thalia. That's a perfect example. Um, it came at a pretty bad time. I had a lot of stuff in my life going on that I wanted to deal with. And it made even getting these podcasts finished uh, difficult and my YouTube channel episodes difficult. Um, 
she didn't care and she shouldn't have to, and the disease didn't care. None of these things discriminate. They have no patience and they certainly have no empathy. Disease does not have empathy. Pain does not have empathy. In fact, you know, a lack of empathy is probably a characteristic of pain. None of this stuff cares about the emotions you're going through, right? And again, the end doesn't justify the means, but the solution doesn't care about what your problems are. And that's sort of the, the again, the moral of this story, right? So, you know, this, this chapter talks about the stoic mask. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having a stoic mask and holding those emotions in and hiding them for, for a period. As long as you don't have stoic actions or effort, you know what I mean? Like, you got to act, you got to have effort that is driven by emotion and and you have passion or even anger about a problem if that anger is going to help you. Um, but if you have to show on your face a calm and collected and cool sort of uh, uh, emotion uh, or behavior and being stoic like that is going to help you finish the job, then damn right you better be stoic. And, and I think there's nothing toxic about that. I think it's actually anti-toxic, you know, it's, it's actually the antidote, uh, in some situations. So, um, you know, so it's great when the time is appropriate to express your emotions, to share them, to be open with your vulnerabilities. But when the challenge comes, you know, a knock and it, and it will often every single day you'll have a challenge knock at the door you open that door with stoic effort you know you push the feelings and the fear and the apprehensions aside and you and temporarily you do this and you just just do your job right stop feeling so much at the moment and do your job be a provider be a protector lead take care of your family and yourself obviously yourself, take care of your friends, take care of your pets, of course, and just be like Dale and be the hero in your own movie. And that's what being a man, and I don't mean, you know, an XY chromosome with testicles and a penis. I mean, mankind, humankind, being a person, a leader is about stepping up to the challenge and putting your fears and your apprehensions and your emotions aside temporarily and be that hero and help everybody get past these challenges. So I'm going to keep reading this book and I'm probably going to talk about other chapters as well. The Mask of Masculinity by Lewis Howes, H-O-W-E-S. But so far, I'm enjoying the book for the exact opposite reason I think uh, Lewis expects. I actually disagree quite a lot with a lot of things he's saying. However, I am going to keep my mind open and I'm going to let him be the teacher uh, and teach me a few things and I'll see if I can be a student and learn from him. So thanks for listening to episode seven. Is it really toxic to be a man? Follow me on Instagram and check out my YouTube channel and reach out to me via email and all these things are on the podcast sort of page that you're listening to this on. I would love to hear from you guys. I would love to hear if you want to be a, a guest. Of course, I have to try and figure out how to record a telephone call because we can't do anything in person right now with the pandemic going on. Dr. Cliff Podcast, I think is actually going to stick around as the title, at least for now. 
But anyways, thank you very, very much. Go out there and be the hero of your own movie. Love and protect and lead. In, in my opinion, be like Dale. Peace. Peace.